0: This is Jeff Scott Soto, and you are listening to the Growing Up Rock Podcast with Stephen Michael and Hollywood Pooney. You better turn it up and keep it up.
1: and diverse. You have heard his voice on over 150 albums as either a lead vocalist or backing vocalist in the last four decades. If you love rock, prog, pop, punk, funk, soul, ballads, basically name it, he's done it. And if you become a fan and you want to go down the rabbit hole and discover all things he's been involved in, you better bring a big lunch. We have with us today the hardest working man in rock and roll, Mr. Jeff Scott Soto, for a second round on growing up rock welcome back jeff with that intro i pretty much just say good night
0: <laughs> how do i pack that up how do i follow that up that's crazy thank you for that
1: oh uh, no problem at all we're not really going to do a jss history lesson today you know we're going to talk a little history we did most of the history stuff on episode 33 a couple of years ago right but jeff has a new album out uh, wide awake in my dreamland so we're going to talk about that but before we get to that the lakers won the championship you got to be a happy guy
0: so happy. It just goes to show it's a testament to the times we're all living in right now that I can't even be happy about my team winning. I don't care about the politics. I don't care who said what, who thinks what, who feels what. The Lakers have been my team since I was 10 years old. They're bringing on the championship after one of my favorite players of all time tragically passes. I post my celebration, my happiness, and there's always somebody out there that has the shit on it. It's, it's <laughs> I don't get it. I don't get it. You must it, be a Celtics it, fan. And this is one of the this is self explanatory on why I titled this album, Wide Awake in My Dreamland. Because I truly at times feel like I must be dreaming. There's no way I can be awake. This is this is reality. This can't be real. But to be honest with you, I had this title before COVID. Now COVID brought a whole new meaning behind that.
1: Yeah, yeah. So you've been a Lakers fan all your life. My One of my favorite players of all time is Jamal the Silk Wilkes. Remember him?
0: Look at that. Oh, yeah. You're going deep. Oh, yeah. I'm a West Coast guy, too. And actually, James Worthy was one of my favorite guys. Everybody oh, always yeah. chooses uh, Kareem or Magic. But J- without James Worthy, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll tell you right now. Or Michael
2: Cooper, right? Oh, oh yeah. Cool. Yeah. Worthy was the Scotty Pippen of the Lakers, I think.
1: Right, 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 right. Yeah. Exactly. And you're about to turn the speed limit here in a couple of weeks, right?
0: Oh uh, boy. You had to remind me. <laughs> <that>. <laughs> you don't look it. Does that make you feel better? Well, you know what makes me feel better is that everybody that I have said happy birthday to because of the the limitations of the being able to celebrate them. I'm telling everybody, you're not a year older next year, you're going to be two years older. And that's when we're really going to celebrate and turn it up. But don't celebrate now because don't waste it on, on the fact that I can't see you, hug you and have a drink with you. (laughs) So I'm not going to be 55 this year. I'm just going to be 54 until I'm 56. (laughs) Okay.
1: That's fair. That's fair. I don't know if a lot of people know this story, but you haven't really taken a singing lesson. And that whole story about having two tape recorders and learning how to harmonize like that's, geeky old school tech can you tell us that story a little bit
0: absolutely um i'm self-taught in terms of the radio was my music teacher the radio was my my vocal teacher everything that i loved that was on the radio when i was a kid is what inspired me to learn how to sing and i have such diverse taste and genre uh, in music in general i was always singing to things that were not even rock they were they they were all the things that kind of they kind of lent to what would become my my contribution to hard rock music, because without that, I just would have been a regular Joe. I would have been just somebody who did rock in a cover band and then turned it into my own thing. But having all those influence, having the Bee Gees and Earth, Wind and Fire and Stevie Wonder and Motown, all that stuff was so important to me growing up. Now, that being said. As I was learning my craft, I was even learning how to read music and learning what the notes meant and how chords were structured and building harmonies, etc. I had no way of doing it unless you go into a recording studio, which once I did go to a recording studio, I realized the capabilities of overdubbing and building up harmonies and stacking them. You didn't have home studios back then. You, didn't, you couldn't dream of it back then. So what I did is I, I took the, the ideal of I want to teach myself how to actually harmonize with myself better. I took like a Bee Gees song, for instance. Nights on Broadway, I think, was one of the ones. I took a tape recorder, one of those old rectangle ones that we you guys used to use for, uh, for interviews. We had <laughs> two of them in the house. So I would sing acapella. Blaming it on, on the nights on Broadway. I would sing the lead part. I would rewind it, play it back, put the other one in record. And while it's playing back, I would sing the harmony to that while that was recording two voices. But the Bee Gees always had three-part harmony, so I had to do it again. Rewind that second one, put the other one back and record. And while it's playing back the two voices that were recorded, I sang a third voice. Now the generation you would hear by the time I got to the third one, the original lead vocal started like, <laughs> but it was close enough because I was then learning how to harmonize with myself. I got it to such a science by the time I learned uh how to isolate the main lead vocal part for Freddie Mercury's bit on uh, the Prophet song, I stripped it down and I did the exact thing with two tape recorders. Not the tape loop effect that he did or that I did with Sons of Apollo, but with two tape recorders, I sang each part individually to make it sound like I had an echoplex behind me. That's pretty good. That's, that's old school man's version.
2: <laughs> now, Jeff, I find that I harmonize the best when I put my finger in the ear and I'm standing in the shower.
0: <laughs> well, you can put your finger anywhere, and the only place, the only time that's going to help you when you're sticking your finger in your ear is when you actually have loud music that's creating the wrong pitch into your ear. One reason a lot of people do that, even in the studio. You might even, talking about the Bee Gees, Robin Gibb, in so many visuals of them singing live, you would see him with um, a finger in his ear. There's a reason for that. It's the Doppler effect. And it's one of the reasons I can't stand those in-ear monitors. When something is placed so closely to your eardrum, it's going to create the perfect pitch of what the actual thing you're listening to or you're singing to is. When you pull it away, it's the same thing as when you hear a siren coming from a distance compared to when it gets closer to you. It's will it changes the pitch that pitch is the same siren sound down the street a mile away but it's changing as it gets closer to you rob gibbs to close his ear because if he let the regular pitch of the sound that's coming from far away get in there he's going to be off key with himself and that's why a lot of people even in the studio to this day i listen with one ear on and one ear off when i'm recording because if i cover both ears I'm pitchy as shit, and I have to redo
1: the whole thing.
2: (laughs) Wow, that must be why I'm pitch perfect all the time (laughs) on the shower.
1: (laughs) I've heard this guy sing. Trust me. You see, your joke worked.
0: You you heard the response.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um. All right. So you know. Okay. Lakers win. Woohoo! Right. Unfortunately, we had a guy pass. This all important to us. It's. Steven's favorite band, Van Halen, I know you're a huge Van Halen fan, RIP to Eddie for sure. And I know that even when you look at your Facebook page, it just had the heart with the broken. Like there was, there obviously was a heard it, got to deal with it, now able to talk to it. Now that we're a week, week and a half later, has it sunk in a little bit?
0: Yeah, with anything like that, that's so important to you. And it's, I'll remind anybody hearing this or in just in general, why we're so affected by this as fans, as peers, as people that are not personally connected with somebody like that, that dies. This is part of our childhood. This is something that influenced musicians. It influence us as listeners. It's something we're so close to that when that person passes, a little bit of us passes too, mm-hmm. because we're so connected to that. We're so close to that, those memories and those things that bring us back to a time. That's our time. This is our time. This is, These are our memories. Nobody will ever, will ever be able to take that away from us. And that body of work, that legacy of music, and every, all that influence will stay with us forever until we pass. So, of course, deep down, a little bit of us passed as well. And that's why we're so deeply connected. So many of us around the world are deeply connected to certain people. Now, losing Prince was my first real knife to the heart. Kobe was the second, but I honestly think Eddie is a, a combination of the two. Mm-hmm. As much as they both mean to me, losing Eddie was – it was like losing a, a Kobe and a Prince at the same time because that's what he, me- he meant to me and he meant to so many people.
1: Yeah, it's crazy and you know a lot of great tributes out there. And you know we were talking about the 2018 Sons of Apollo tour you guys used to do and the Cradle Will Rock as an encore. Mm-hmm. We were wondering – was there other songs you tried that are on the cutting room floor or Billy says we ain't doing that damn song. God. Like Mike, for all intents and purposes in most of the bands he's
0: in or was in, because uh, he did it in dream theater as well. He's basically in charge of the set list mainly because that's his forte. He loves doing it. But number two, he's forever a fan of music. He's forever. He never forgets where he came from in terms of why he's doing what he's doing. So he always feels like he wants to pay some kind of tribute, in every show and every band and every detail of what he's doing live. And that's why he's pretty much the guy in charge of the set list. He came up with that idea based on Van Halen being the one real true common bind to sons of Apollo. There's a lot of bands that everybody in the band's kind of into and, Oh yeah, I really like that. I'm not, I'm not such a fan of that. But Van Halen is one that we all have that one common interest. Now, number two, Derek Sherinian won't be doing any Van Halen songs with any other singer than David Lee Roth. So it has to be within those first five albums. <laughs> <laughs> and then number three, tackle there's like maybe three major songs from Van Halen that include keyboards. We ain't doing jump. Hell no. Not with the <laughs> prog band. And we're not going to do I'll wait for the same reason. I'll wait. Might be a song that works better for a JSS show than it would sons of Apollo. Yeah. And the Cradle of Rock was something we could all just kind of let our hair down, let the shirt out, let the belly flop out there, and just have fun with because it wasn't something we had to calculate, think about, that we could all have fun doing that still has keyboards in it.
1: Yeah, that's great. You know, you probably know this, but a bunch of – well, you probably do it. They're rock fans get together. They're talking what ifs. Yeah. Right? And the other day we're talking David Lee Roth, Lee's Van Halen. Let's say that happens three or four years later. Maybe you have a shot to audition for Van Halen. Like 84 is probably a little early, but 88 is not early. That's another dream
0: come true bucket list item that I would have loved to a sight of even just shaking the man's hand. I never got to meet Eddie. And that's one of my, if we have to talk about regrets in life, that would be one of them. I don't even know if Eddie was aware that I existed. If I was anywhere in his stratosphere, but I would have loved to. At least talk shop with the guy or, or yeah, audition, if you want to call it that, sing with them, jam with them. I would have loved that as part of my history or, or to even my bucket list to be able to add that to it. I don't even know if he knew I existed. I'm friends with Michael Anthony. I know Sammy pretty well. I'm really good friends with Gary Sharon. I met Wolfie and Alex once. Ed is the only one in Van Halen. I never got to meet or shake his hand. I even met Dave a couple times.
1: Wow. Wow. And it's really um. shame yeah Uh, so moving on let's move on to lita for a minute so a lot of folks had not heard or didn't even know about that song where will i find my heart tonight that finally got released on her 2016 album because when she released it in 1995 she did all the parts so no she took out my parts (laughs) yeah that was crazy right so when i heard it again i'm like wait a second i know that song you mean to tell me jeff sang part of this song like why didn't you release it that way like it could have been maybe it was set up to be like the next close my eyes forever, but a little bit faster. Like what was the intent originally? The intent originally
0: actually started as far back as like 91. I think it was the original demo I did of that song. And I hope I'm not speaking out of line or saying anything that uh, might make anyone angry. But from what I remember on that song, I believe it was originally supposed to be Sebastian Bach doing the, uh, the duet with her on it. And for some reason or another fell through I had a buddy or somebody drop my name just to even get the demo done, and I met Lita. I I knew a few guys in her band. Went down and knocked it out literally in like one or two takes, and she loved it. We both loved it. We I still have the demo version, the original version. Whatever happened, the song never saw the light of day. And then when she was doing the Black album, the Lita Ford Black, I guess she had a, a new manager or somebody that was kind of looking over her her items. Uh, they asked me to come in. They, they love the original version, but they're now doing a real version. The the, the demo version is a bit outdated, so they want to do a, the, the real version that was going to end up on that record. Went back into the studio. We, I basically replicated everything I did on the demo, even though it was a few years later. They had a new version. Without going into all the pettiness that was behind it, I had a very minimal amount that I was kind of expecting that I would be paid as a fee for doing it. And I, it was like pulling teeth with the, that so-called manager at that time. Lita was completely oblivious to the the situation, and in the end, I think because they told her that I was playing hardball, I think I was asking for like five hundred bucks. It was nothing. They told her I was playing hardball, and so she's like, "Well, I guess because the album's coming out, I'll just we'll just release the version with only my voice on it." It wasn't until many years later that we revisited this idea where Lita actually apologized to me when she actually found out the reasons why my voice was pulled on. Then she felt so bad. She said, someday we have to get that version out there. And that's the version that you hear on that time Capsule album. It, fi- it went full circle from doing a demo to getting cut from the album version to now being on the definitive version that people got to hear. Sorry for the long story, but we have time. So I threw it out at you. Yeah, no,
1: no. Uh,
0: hey, I asked, And to this day, Lita and I are really good friends. I love this woman. She's such a nice person, always just a sweetheart. I'm so happy that she's doing what she's meant to be doing and she's back doing what she's supposed to be doing because there was a time where we thought we were going to lose that element of Lita Ford for a while.
2: And that in part is the politics of rock and roll. Yes, sir. (laughs) So Jeff, for many of your peers, technology, specifically things like streaming has hurt them financially since many people want to work with you, has technology kind of helped you in getting work and allowing you to put things out there? Technology has been on my side for a long time because when you go back
0: to a band like Talisman or Axa Pell, those albums were done at a time where we didn't have the luxury of, of sitting together and learning the songs and writing the songs and spending the time between me busy with other things at the time to just the cost behind it, to, to to fly to Sweden every time, to stay in Sweden, to stay in hotels, et cetera. We learned how to utilize the long distance relationships way back before the, the technology was uh, our best friend. Having Pro Tools, having WAV files, having the the digital internet version of what we do. I was so ready for it. I'd done so many records through the past The difficult, hard way. And we succeeded in doing them that way. But I was so prepped and ready and preened in in the the digital age to be able to do these things because I was already doing them before we even had that capability.
2: Yeah, right on. It's kind of a double-edged sword, isn't it, for a lot of people? So right now, at this very minute, there are probably somewhere around 587 different songwriters uh, saying out loud, we need Jeff Scott Soto to sing this track. I came to 587 because two or three of them dropped out, uh, but 587 <laughs> roughly. <laughs> uh, do you have to say no to some of the things nowadays? I've said no to a lot of things
0: in the past. Yeah. Based on I mean, anything from timing to personal preference to not wanting to flood the market to not wanting to, for people to think that's a new project that I'm not following up on. It's uh, There's so many reasons I've had to say no to a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Lately, during COVID time, I'm accepting more, maybe uh, attributed to the fact that I have more time on my hands, Yeah. maybe attributed to the fact that there's more quality stuff coming in that I normally would say no to because of timing, but the actual quality is so good. I want to be a part of it. And maybe even attesting to the fact that as we're getting older, we're talking about losing people like Eddie and losing Prince and Neil Peart. As I'm getting older... I'm kind of utilizing the Freddie Mercury mentality when he knew he had AIDS and he knew he was dying. He told those guys, I want to spend every day I can creating and leaving as much material for you guys. When I'm gone, I kind of feel the same like Prince. They're pulling so much stuff out of his vaults. Now, maybe some things he never wanted people to hear, but Hey, if you sang on it, you put your stamp on it. It should be heard. That's how I see it. So I'm doing things mainly with, with all these parameters and factors in that someday when I'm missing or when I'm gone, when I'm, I'm no, or even if I'm no longer able to do this, you're going to have a body of work that's going to outlive even the, the years that uh, I won't be around to, to actually see them.
2: Yeah. Completely understand that. That's a great, actually, that's a great way to look at things for sure. As an artist, I'm just
0: in this shit up as I go.
2: <laughs> yeah. Hey, <laughs> it makes sense you know
0: no i know i know i'm just jiving no i really do feel this way and that's it just i'm still so humbled that i get to do this for a living that all these years later all these decades later that there's still something left for me to say musically that there's still people willing to give me that opportunity to to say what i want to say musically that means more to me than anything it means more to me than gold records big arena tours, it really means the world that I have that validation from people that they still want to hear what I have to sing.
2: Yeah, and let's talk about that a little bit. You've had a long relationship with Frontiers Records. Is it worth it to self-release, self-promote, etc., to make a bit more money on your releases, or is it not worth the pain in the ass? It really depends on the
0: item. I just re-released my Love Parade album, for instance, on the streaming digital format. reason I did that is because if you want the physical one, you can still probably find it on eBay. Maybe it's uh, it co- it'll cost you a few extra dollars to buy it on, on Amazon, etc. But there, it was never put out on Spotify. It was never put out on Apple Music and all the other formats. And I thought, I'm not really looking to make money from it, more so just to make sure my catalog is out there. When you see a bio that shows Jeff's first album was Love Parade and all the way up to Retribution and Wide Awake. And you go to Spotify and you hey, well, that album's missing, and that album's missing. Anything they're going to they're gonna be talking about should be out there available for them to listen to. So that's why, mainly why I put it out there. I wanted to make it available again. As well, there's not really any interest. Frontiers did a re-release of Love Parade back when they released Prism. But as that license fell out, I got the rights back to it, and I figured... I'm not gonna invest in more physical product. I'll probably be lucky to sell 50 or 60 copies. Anybody who has it, anybody who wants it already has it. Let me just give them the convenience of listening to it. If they're out somewhere and they forgot the CD or they don't have the MP3s, they can stream it. That's the only reason I did that. And I love that people get to hear the diversity, all the different things and parameters and genres and reasons as Sonny said at in, in that beautiful intro that I have so many factors and facets to my career and my life that you get to hear all these different things as opposed to just some of them.
1: Yeah. I'm still upset. I can't find that damn bacteria release. Like I've got Shut almost up. everything. Let's,
0: let's not talk about that one.
1: <laughs> I can't hear it. <laughs> I never found
0: it. That's one, man. I, every time somebody brings that up or starts playing it out of nowhere, I'm like, how did you find that? How did you know that was <laughs> me? Because that's one funny record.
1: <laughs> so uh, let's talk about the new record. So okay. we'll talk about the band members first. You got, Alessandro Del Vecchio, Frontier Staple, the guy's a god <laughs> songwriter-wise, yeah. underrated vocalist, honestly. You yeah. got Ido, who's been with you now 11, 12 years. Uh-huh. We don't know a ton about Fabrizio, and I'm not even going to try the last name. Scottone.
0: Scottone. Just Scottone. like Jeff Scott, oh, just okay. say Scotoni. <laughs> All
1: right. Yeah, exactly. we don't know a ton about Fabrizio or August.
0: Okay, well, I don't even know Fabrizio. Let me start from the top. Let's, let's start from the top to the bottom. Frontier sat me down at the Frontier's Rock Festival last year and said, um, We want you to do a new album for a 2020 release. But before you just dive into making a new album, we had the idea of you working with Alessandro. Now, I've known Alessandro for 15 years or so. I met him by singing background on the first Edge of Forever album that Marcel Jacob produced. I've watched Alessandro Grove not only as a musician, as a songwriter, but as a producer, as an engineer. As an all-around musician, singer, as you said, the guy's just, he's a jack-of-all-trade and master-of-all. I've watched his growth, and I'm so, so pleased, and just like, I can't compliment him enough on all the things that he's been able to achieve in such a short time. When they brought his name up, I said, 1,000%, that sounds like a great idea, because I have a feeling Alessandro can bring something out of me that I haven't been doing, number one, on my last album's. And number two, I have a feeling he's going to dig back into my career, into bringing out certain things that I haven't been doing in a while. I was 1000% right on both factors. He wrote all the music to this album. He wrote every note, played every note on the original demos that I was sent to basically accept the songs and then to start writing my lyrics to I also did all my lead vocals to those demos because of the factor of time the little window of time that i had to sing those vocals was in january i was coming off the soto tour coming off the tso tour right about to start the sons of apollo tour i had literally 16 days to sing those 11 songs backing vocals included wasn't a lot of time my voice was a little crispy little toasty from all that touring and singing and traveling and i had to ration some of it for what was upcoming so Alessandro really did a lot of work. He did a lot of all the help work, that, all the, the initial work that got that whole album going and continued. The original uh, release date was supposed to be in July. When COVID hit, not only did we realize, hang on, we we got to change the release date, but the fact that I was coming home allowed me to now to revisit a lot of these things that I could not do the way I wanted to have them done or maybe after I was done, I oh, man, I wish I had extra time. Or you can hear how raspy and grabbly my voice is. I'd love to revisit that, redo that, et cetera, et cetera. Even parts that I didn't hear before. Oh, man, now, now I want to put an ooh and an ah that wasn't there before because now I hear it and didn't hear it then. So then now let's go backwards, go back to where it all started after my vocals were done. I insisted to Alessandro, even though he's the producer, and he was making over all the decisions based on the music side, I insisted we use Edu. I've used Edu on every album, from Soto to JSS since 2012, and that guy absolutely positively knows how to record my music without me telling him one thing. I don't have to guide him. I don't have to ask him, tell him, in this part, can you go down to a half-speed tempo? Can you do a fill here? He does everything that i would do if i were a drummer that was a no-brainer i brought in edu when it came to the final guitars he said i got this guy that i've known for a while but i've never worked with he hadn't even worked with Fabrizio, but he knew him and he said i promised him that i was going to get him into a project someday and i think the jss album is that project once again alessandro is a king he's a god i gave him one thousand percent blessing take my brand newborn baby and raise it i trust you with every fiber of my being and my god let me tell you right now when he sent me the first couple pre-advanced mixes was the first time i got to hear all the final drums and all these guitars my mind was blown fabrizio scatoni you don't know the name but everybody's listening to this record every single interview i'm doing they're saying this guy is like all your favorite guitar players all rolled up in the one. I hear a little Nuno. I hear a little Brian May. I hear a little Edward. I hear a little Bumble. I hear everybody that I love as far as influences guitar wise. This guy brought it out again without me having to ask. August Sandra, he he rounded it off because August, he's one of my best friends. He's, he sings and plays guitar for Dennis DeYoung. Mm-hmm. And having somebody like Fabrizio already, I promised August he'd be able to do a couple of solos on the record But the solos were already done, unfortunately. And there was one song that Alessandro said to me, he goes, you know, the song Between Lines it's not done yet. And if you want to give that one to August, that'd be a good one. And I knew melodically it'd be perfect for August because it's ballady. It has that kind of just-between-us kind of vibe to it. And he came to my house, we tracked his solo. Going back to the vocal side, (laughs) there was a lot. If there's any high vocals on this album, the backing vocals were even higher. There were some things, I, there's no way during that time I could I could achieve. I could not reach. August sings high. He's a natural tenor. If you've ever seen him live with Dennis Young, that dude just soars up in that tenor range. Mm-hmm. So I brought him in to basically fill out all those really high things that I could do at that time. If I had to do them now, I could do them because I'm rested. Couldn't do yeah. them then. But I was glad to have August on there because his blend with my blend gives it a new frequency, a new sound. Instead of me doing the backing vocals. And that's how you round off this new record.
1: That's good stuff. So let's talk about the first three tracks kind of total. Like, I, you know, Someone to Love, I would say, is my favorite song on the album because it's got that classic solo, Jeff Scott Soto, radio-friendly type vibe. Right. Mystified, feels a little more Sons of Apollo, but for Fabrizio, like his hands are butter. I don't know what the yeah. hell he's doing the solo. And then Loves Blind, the first single, that great guitar riff, another perfect song for rock radio. Loved the message of, like, what the hell's wrong with you? Like, I'm standing around in front of you, the person you want. Like, tell me about these three songs, kind of what was in your head.
0: Well, uh, Someone to Love was actually the very first song that Alessandro sent me. And I kind of wanted it to open the album for that reason. Because he already sent me the mix of that song, and it sounded great. And I'm like, hey, man, this is the first one we did together. This should be the first song on the album. He goes, hang on a second. I was thinking of something the other day. Before we commit to the final mix, tell me if you like this. And that's when he threw the, the version with the kind of radiophonic, monotonic sound of the backing vocals starting it off, which yeah. reminded me of a modern version of I'll Be Waiting. It starts off the song with a chorus, and and it, and then it hits the ground running. Loved it. This is definitely going to be the album opener. Mystified, to be honest with you, that reminds me more of Talisman. That That song took me to a total Talisman place. I just loved the way it was so different from Love's Blind or even its opening uh, song, Someone to Love, at a different kind of tempo, at a different kind of feel and vibe overall. So it was the perfect song to lace right in between, Mystified there. And then Love's Blind, lyrically, that song is actually about, it, it's kind of like a personal letter to my teenage stepdaughter. She was going through, as most people who have teenage daughters or teenage sons they go through their things and whether it be bullying or social networks or whatever every teenager has their things that they go through their growing pains and she was going through hers so this was kind of a a personal letter to her basically reminding her listen we know what you're going through even though you know the old uh will smith parents just don't understand we understand we understand more than you think we do It was just a reminder that we know what you're going through. We know what you're going to be going through, but we're always here to catch your fall. The song's not necessarily love is blind in terms of a breakup or relationship or seeing somebody that you love with or seeing something you're in love with. The song is more about inner love. That inner love to yourself can sometimes be blinding to the point where you don't love yourself and you have to love yourself before you can love someone else or something else. So it's kind of a reverse message of love yourself first find yourself and everything else is going to fall into place later
2: that's beautiful man
0: (laughs) (laughs) thank you man (laughs) you didn't know he could get that deep huh you know what at this point in my life and career you gotta dig deep because I've written so many songs and I've written about so many different things and not necessarily you know autobiographical a lot of things are things I see around me but sometimes I do tap into the uh, the ones that I'm dealing with and I want to make sure it's something that somebody else can take home too it's not just something that's too personal to me
1: Let's talk about without you kind of by itself so it's the only video man this thing kind of gets serious you watch the video and the yeah. queen-esque type song and right. i love the dual vocal it's a little serious there yeah this
0: song was very special to me when Frontiers reminded me because of the last couple physical sales that the overall sales have gone down you know they They're holding on to that. Everybody always blames the record companies for gouging and and ripping fans off, et cetera. Trust me, these guys are doing so much against the grain that they're not necessarily um, getting recouped for it. Let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. They're doing things for their love of music, for the love of the artists and the, the people that they're surrounded with, including myself, which is another reason that I have that loyalty, the frontiers when they reminded me, there may not be enough budget to do the usual two or three videos this might be the only one, you know, make sure it's a good one, make sure it's the one you want to do. That's exactly what I had to choose. I I, I knew that without you had to be seen and heard, not just heard on the record as an audio. item. Because as much as Alessandro wrote this album as a testament and an overview of my entire career, he also wanted to tap into things that make me tick as first and knowing my love for Queen, that song was a, a reminder that, I could actually write something within the realm of something that maybe I could have even done with Brian and Roger at some point. They could have actually been on this song and it would have worked. So that song was important to me because I never done something with that kind of sound and that, just that vibe. It was, I've done so many different things in my life and my career, but never something like that, that just had that epicness to it. And that's why I chose that song. I want, I knew my videographer in, uh, in Brazil would come up with something that was really more mini movie than just a music video. And I, and, (laughs) <laughs> for him to pull this off when Brazil was hitting their stride in the pandemic is crazy, crazy. You see what we have. They they ask us to stay home. They ask us to wear masks. They ask us not to gather. In other countries, they don't ask. They tell. You go out, they persecute. Some countries, they shoot. So in Brazil, when it was in its fever pitch, you couldn't even go outside unless you had a paper permission that shows you either where your destination was and you had to go straight there and straight home. There's other parts of the world that had this, too. So for him to be able to pull this off during the peak of what was going on there, I'm so proud of this video and this song.
1: And you have a guitar wrapped around your neck. That doesn't normally happen. Yeah. You know what? And again,
0: because of the originally my whole concept behind that video was to be behind a grand piano. A grand piano is not something you can just throw in the back of the SUV and, and find a location. Or unless you own a helicopter, you can drop on top of a cliff and then go ahead and play it and pick it up later. And the last thing I wanted to set up some cheesy Casio on an X stand and say, <laughs> OK, well, at least I'm playing keyboards in the video. Uh-uh. So as it, again, we were dealing with the, uh, the parameters of what we could get away with. I couldn't find one studio, one person that I knew that had a grand piano. I couldn't find one instance that would allow us to be able to film without having a crew, without needing a crew, without having lighting. And there's just nobody wanted to risk that. They, I'm sorry, Jeff, I love you, but I'm not ready for that. And I, I don't blame them. I, I wasn't angry. I, I tried because it would have made more sense. People know me as a keyboard player more so. It would have made more sense. And it would have. I think it would have been more majestic if I were behind a keyboard. Yeah. I, I'm sorry, behind a grand piano. Yeah. so we improvised i do play <laughs> guitar as well and as long as i'm not faking the guitar solo which ain't me that's right i think it's important than me just miming a song and trying to find hand gestures and things to, to kind of fill the time while i'm not hands on the guitar
1: yeah oh uh, by the way i was playing all the right chords too <laughs> oh yeah i i kind of i watched i'm like okay i are gonna go to the guitar solo Tell me he's not going to mind no no, 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 no. I'm I not that stupid. It. Thank you.
2: <laughs> it reminds me a little bit, Jeff, uh, when you're talking about trying to find things to do with your hands while you're doing this video. It reminds me of that part in uh, Talladega Nights where he's trying to figure out what to do with the, his hands when the guy's interviewing him. Remember, right.
0: Remember that? Oh, yeah. It's true. You can only do so much without holding a microphone or using your fellow bandmate as a prop or, you know, there's only so much you can do and get away with to keep the viewer watching without them going, God, this is so boring. This is so like every other video. And this is what I love about uh, Tiago, the guy that did the video. He's done all the Soto videos for me, or most of all of them. He makes mini movies. He makes landscapes and lush cinematography with the videos that we do together and i knew this song needed his touch and i almost didn't get him because originally as i said everything was supposed to be scheduled and booked based on normality our original schedule for filming me was to film in brazil when sons of apollo were playing down there when that got canceled postponed twice i knew uh oh we have to find another way to do this i'm not going to brazil anytime soon
1: And then the next two songs, Lesson of Love and Paper Wings, which I I absolutely love, Paper Wings, you know, we kind of get back to the rock. But it reminded me of something. I love that it's your band. Your name is on the CD. You're obviously the leader. But that you as a vocalist understand that there's time and place for all musicians to shine. So whether it's a guitar fill, whether it's a little drum fill. Like there's, I can't tell you how many CDs I listen to and the guitar solo is going and like the singer won't shut up. Like even (laughs) when you say something, you say it like during a bridge when the solo is going to change. You must do that on purpose. It has to be. Well,
0: obviously that's comes from experience. Number one, it comes from experience one, but also comes from respect when something's being said, when something's being, it should be a focal part of any song, even on the live, especially on the live side. I was that clown at one point when I was doing shows, as I was a younger singer and just learning the ropes and knowing what to do with myself during a guitar solo, et cetera. I was the clown that used to keep trying to get the, uh, the audience to, to, to show enthusiasm, et cetera, while somebody was taking a solo. I didn't realize the importance of letting that portion of a show breathe until much later. I honestly think not really until my time with soul circus until I was truly with a seasoned veteran, like Neil Sean, he even used to complain, man, guys in my band. It's almost like he was prefacing it, like, I hope you're not one of these guys. He kind of threw it out there when we were rehearsing. He said, guys just, they just don't know when to pull back. You know, I'm playing a solo and they're out there giving high fives. It's like it takes away from that portion of the show. I'm like, you know what? You're right. And then I went from that point on when I would see old footage of me, I'm doing the same thing during solo. That's disrespectful. The same thing goes for the when you're recording a session or you're recording something, if there's something else going on that sounds like it should be up front and center back off, man, let that thing shine because you have many places to shine. You don't have to be notice me, notice me all the time. You kind of learn that as you go. That being said, let me rewind a little bit based on what you said. This, this is not a band. This is not my new version of JSS. This is a solo album for all intents and purposes, but I still respect the song. If the song calls for the drums to have a segment, if the song has a a hole or a guitar riff that needs to be heard, I'm going to fill it with the vocal because I want the song to be first and foremost, the number one focus that you're hearing, maybe in a solo situation, maybe the voice has to be second in command and then everything else falls, but everything else is as important as the vocal, as important as the song. So it just comes with the territory. You, You live and learn.
2: Yeah, so let's talk about Love Will Find a Way. There are a couple of songs on this record to me that stand out in the best possible way a little bit different than the other stuff on the record. Okay, Love Will Find a Way is one of those tunes to me. This is a part of your, I guess, maybe funk history where this groove in this song created by the guitar is so awesome. Can you
0: sing that to me, Steve? I, I want to hear your interpretation because, you know, I heard you got, you just can you can blow chords with your voice.
2: I got to be in the shower and I got to put my finger in my ear. We already <laughs> talked about that.
1: <laughs> if he's going to start singing, I got to put both fingers in my ear. So wait, give me a second. <laughs> good, Dave, and good answer.
2: No, I absolutely I love the groove and I love the bridge into the pre of this song. This song is one of my favorites on the record. Thank you. What can you tell us about this particular tune?
0: Well, it's the same thing. I keep talking. I, I'm I'm just going to keep saying as much as I possibly can to validate Alessandro and everything he does. I, I remember before I got that song, because he'd already sent me some great rockers. He, he sent me uh, Between the Lines, you know, all these songs that were before they were even titled. I heard direction wise where we we're going. I said, you know what we're missing? I, I need you know, I love funk. You know, I love groove laden stuff. I feel we're missing that. And that's where he went to work with to do uh level find a way. He knew I needed that side of to complete the overall. I want to do what people are expecting of you. That's all I can say about the on the music end because I basically requested it's the only time I actually went to him and I requested, can you give me something more like that? And he just he nailed it. Perfect.
2: Yeah, I love that tune.
0: Those kinds of things make it so easy to do what I do because those ideas just—they come, they flow so easily when you you give me something that I can really sink my teeth into.
2: Yeah, the next two tunes, "Between the Lines" and "Living in a Dream." "Between the Lines" has uh, definitely has a White Snake feel to me, sort of that mid-tempo, great backing vocals. August plays an appropriate solo on it, really radio-friendly tune. Great song there.
0: Well, let me preface uh, how that one came about. The very first time I heard that,
2: I knew exactly
0: where Alessandro nipped the whole vibe and the idea from. It wasn't necessarily Whitesnake as it was Talisman. We have a great song from the first album called Just Between Us. Time I heard that song to me sounded like Just Between Us, which, if you think about it, just between us sounds like Whitesnake. So we went full circle there. We kind of borrowed a little bit from Whitesnake for that song. And so Alessandro borrowed a little bit from the Talisman song for Between the Lines. That being said, I kind of, because I heard it that way, I kind of went into the lyric. I kind of went into even the topic and the whole uh, theme behind it as a sort of Just Between Us part two, kind of like where we got where we left off because they sound so alike i wanted to have like a little brother and that's exactly how i treated that song even the solo that that august did on it it was everything was kind of like as a just between us part two kind of thing
2: cool very cool Living in a dream, back to the rock with this one. The guitar solo is kind of ridiculous on this uh on this <laughs> to say the this, least on this thing. So Sonny, you got some notes in here. What what is it your notes are asking Jeff in this? Yeah, so Jeff, like only true fans will
1: kind of understand this. You know, the whole go, turn it up, or good God, or is that James <laughs> Brown? Is that Prince? What what is that? Because it ends up a lot like I was waiting for the good God. The whole album and never got it so you just right 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 but uh you know normally you do it all the time you know what's funny is the latest one
0: that you find on almost all my songs is uh the yeah is the, the the steven tyler yeah or yeah because he does that a lot and the first time i ever did a, one of those uh tribute albums we did a, a tribute to, to aerosmith and i did the song crying and there's a couple times a yeah or whatever and since that day i can't stop saying yeah and using it as kind of like a a little pickup ad-lib to all my songs so i guess i have to give steven tyler a nod for that one when we did the song um coming home sons of apollo i honestly did not know what i was uh, that i naturally or vicariously or whatever you want to call it, it it just came out of nowhere all these but uh Hold on, and I, uh, cause I. Uh, and then I realized later, holy shit, I'm ripping off David Lee Roth. I'm running with the devil. But I, uh, I found the simple life, you know. And that's now become a part of my repertoire. And yes, the good God, and wait a minute, and hey, of course that's James Brown. That, who who else could that be? <laughs> so it's, fun, it's funny how my little arsenal of little vocal ad-libs to kind of fill spaces when I'm not actually singing, I love all these little kind of nuggets i drop in songs because they add personality as far as i'm concerned and uh, yeah i'm plagiarizing these little personalities i love it
2: holy shit i cannot wait till you jump back and kiss yourself
0: (laughs) 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 oh man you don't even
2: have to be able to talk to sing and get famous james brown been singing 20 years i don't know what the fuck james is talking about I don't understand shit James said. I met him once that Saturday Night Live and walked up and said, James, I love your stuff. James says, about to do that. And whatever James is saying is some real heavy shit to James. Because it's real meaningful shit to James because at the end of every sentence he ended off with, ha! He meant that shit that he just said, boy. Everything, he said, ha! You get mad, you start putting the needle back saying, what the fuck did I just miss?
3: Of nine,
2: nine of say, <laughs> hey! That's a James Brown lyric. He wrote that
3: shit. He was writing a song and I need a word here. Hey! That's good. <laughs>
0: I think on the, the cover that we did, if I want to take you higher, I'm thinking, I remember now I do edit that song with Glenn Hughes. I think there's a, there's a God with a law or something like <laughs> I basically stole from uh, the song, sir. Duke that Stevie wonder does. I just take all those little, the only thing I'm not going to do is jump on it. I'm not going to do the Michael Jackson ripoff. I'll stay away from those.
2: Yeah. The band don't know what Jeff is saying, but Jeff's saying a bunch of stuff. The band's just like, yeah, <laughs>
0: All we know is keep saying, yeah, we can't be It's <laughs> stand up of all time.
2: Yeah, so Wide Awake in My Dreamland, the title track. This is one of the other songs that I referenced earlier where it sticks out in the best possible way where it's a little bit different than a lot of what the rest of the record has going on. This song, to me, I absolutely love the swampy feel at the beginning of this right. song. I think this song is great. It's one of my favorites as well. But it's a little bit heavier than some of the other tracks. Sonny, you wrote Sludgier. I get it, sort of uh, heavy detuning or something. What can you tell us about this title track?
0: Well, th- again, that was on purpose because Alessandro wanted to make sure that he didn't leave out other aspects of my career and life that he was basically trying to re emulate again without, especially the Ingve side of things. To me, Wide Awake and Desperate at the tail end of the album are really what take it home to me. And they're at the end of the album on purpose because it's kind of like everything throughout the album is kind of a roundup of my career, my life musically, but those two songs kind of bring it back to where it all started. So the end is basically the beginning. If you, if you want to correlate it that way. Okay. And so it was kind of on purpose. If I put those songs somewhere in the middle, close to the top, I don't think it would have flowed as it does. I love when I have to sequence albums, it's the, one of the hardest things. I, I'm not one of those people, one of those A&R guys that said, well, we got to put the strongest songs and the singles up the top, and all those weak songs are going to be at the back end of it, at the very end. If it's if it's not killer, it ain't going to end up on a JSS release, I'm sorry. But then that, re, that presents the problem of formatting and sequencing, because the majority of people think you put the worst songs for last, and that's not how it is on my records at all. I wanted to take you back to the beginning at the end, and that was absolutely on purpose.
2: Yeah, so two things to say here regarding what you just said. One is sequencing absolutely does matter, correct? Absolutely. I'm not a believer of it. That's why you want to
1: say it out loud. I'm like, nobody cares about sequencing anymore. They're on streaming.
0: Well, the artist still cares about it when it comes to the flow of an album, because there are people that still listen to albums, Soup to Nuts. And you got to keep them if you have too many ballads in a row, if you have too many songs that are the same kind of tempo or even the same kind of key in a row, if you have don't mean nothing but a good time three times in a row, you, you, you're losing momentum right there. You need ebbs and flows and you, you need ri- rivers, peaks and valleys and and song sequencing when you're listening to a, a full record. So, yeah, it's very important still.
2: Yeah. In your face, Poony. that's all he really wanted to say
0: i'm not gonna i'm gonna side with you on that one brother
2: (laughs) so uh and then the other thing to that is anybody that says the uh weak songs are at the end of the album try a simple little rhyme that's not a weak song (laughs) let
0: me let me just top you even further how about a little song called bohemian rhapsody it was on side two it was I don't say "God Save the Queen" was a the final Queen song on that record because it was a instrumental cover of a their classic anthem. Yeah, "Bohemian Rhapsody" was the last song on "Night at the Opera," and that's it. Game yeah. over. Enough said.
2: Yeah, no doubt. Well, it's a fantastic record. You already mentioned a little bit about "Desperate." To me, you nailed it. It's a sort of very. To me, it reminds me of Soto, it's kind of a heavier tune. So, that's funny to me, it reminds me of I'm a Viking. It's got oh, that, it? it has Duh. a Viking march, doesn't it? Duh. Yeah, it's an awesome guitar solo. The so- solo at the outro is uh, ridiculous once again, oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, my favorite tunes on this record are the ones that hit home for me are Somebody to Love, Someone to Love, rather, Mystify, Love's Blind. Love will find a way. Living in a dream, and wide awake in my dreamland. All great tunes. Thank you, Jeff's Done somebody to love. It's just a hidden track on Eyes. I think
1: exactly.
0: I'm gonna. Uh, I'm actually gonna throw that that portion into this uh, this interview. I'm right now working on. I don't want to preface it the wrong way because it can be taken the wrong way. People are now doing these reimagined things. I guess Lynch Mob did it recently, and a lot of their fans are like, no, no thanks, not for me. I feel personally, and I'm not going to toot my own horn. It's just how I feel about myself as an artist and pretty well-rounded and diverse. I feel I could possibly get away with something like that in terms of, I have so many songs that are a certain way, whether they were ballads or they were like a song, like somebody to love was an acapella thing. It wasn't a full complete song. It was just a short acapella thing that we threw on the album as a ghost track. Wasn't even labeled on the album. Doesn't even exist as a, Publishing songs. I never got paid for people knowing that song and, and hearing it.
3: It's been a long, long time since I had someone, someone new. Such a long time. Well, now I know. Yes, I know that it's true. One, a two, a one, two, three, I need somebody, ooh, somebody, somebody to love. I need someone. To love, I don't need no special things like credit cards and diamond rings. I just need someone to call my own so that I never ever be alone. I need a somebody, somebody to love. I said, I need. got a rock and roll story to tell and we want to hear yours so go to our website at growinguprock.com that's one word g-r-o-w-i-n-u-p-r-o-c-k.com or visit us on our facebook page at growing up rock and tell us all about it
0: i am taking like 10 songs familiar in my life in my career whether they've been on solo records or talisman anything that i've done 100 with it's you know all the music all the uh, lyrics, et cetera. And I'm doing like kind of like a reimagined thing, but more stripped down, more like an acoustic thing. So say, for instance, uh, Someone to Love is an acapella thing. I'm going to redo it, not as an acapella, but actually as a song now. So now you're going to hear the complete version of what that song would have been if it were a song made into an acapella. I'm uh, going backwards with it. There's a song called Your Man on one of the Talisman albums that we kind of emulated along the Queen, this kind of novelty kind of song. We really wanted that song to sound like it could have been done in a fun kind of nostalgic novelty way. But when I wrote the song originally, it was more in an R&B way. So I'm actually re-recording that song the original way I did it, and people will finally hear the original version. So I'm going to do like a stripped-down acoustic reimagined thing, but it's only going to be songs that I wrote 100%. But they will be songs that people know of. Wait till you hear what I did to Eyes of Love. Holding On, for instance, I've already done that one. I took the premise of Eleanor Rigby. And strings pluck strings and lush strings and it's it's only strings and vocals now and i reimagined it to something totally different and it's it's so cool so i'm yeah. working on that right now and i don't know when i'm going to release it or how i'm going to release it but i just wanted to throw that in because we're talking about diversity we're talking about having so many different schools and so many different genres and so many different things that i want to do That's one of the things that I'm having so much fun with it right now. While I'm doing this interview hell week (laughs) in between, I'm doing, I'm doing songs for this album and it's going to be really special.
1: Yeah. Richie Kotzen did something like that. Acoustic Cuts. It's my favorite Richie Kotzen album. Oh yeah. 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 I know what you're talking about. Yeah. It was just him and an acoustic guitar. Man, you listen to some of those songs. I'm like, I got to be in a mood. Otherwise he'll put me in a mood.
3: (laughs) Yeah.
1: So then you added the second CD is a live CD. And I'm assuming this is the 2019 Frontiers Rock Festival from Milan that was put out in April, right? Correct. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, you know, there's a bunch of songs throughout your careers. I know you love doing medleys because I think it gives you more songs to do, which is great. But you had Dino come do stand up with you. It almost mirrors the movie when Miles Kennedy goes up there. Like it's almost the exact same thing my God, I can't, I can't pull any wool over you guys' eyes.
0: <laughs> oh God, oh right, God. Now, um,
1: what's up everybody? Can you put him in the middle as well? And do. Are you ready?
3: Jeff's got shut up!
0: Unfortunately, we had to omit quite a few minutes for him to actually get on the stage and get the mic check and all that stuff. And this is one of the reasons why that that show or that set list is so short. We almost even didn't even get to do that song because we did, we had a, a guitar meltdown mal- malfunction before that song. And as we were trying to fix it, I'm like telling jokes and we omitted all that crap from the album because it's just fat that you don't want to hear on an audio. If you had video visual, it probably would have been funnier. But I wasn't making a Richard Pryor album, so I wanted it just to be music. But thinking about it and going back to it, that time slot they gave me was only 50 minutes long. When they said they wanted to release that as a standalone piece, I told them, I don't like this idea. I don't like the the idea that my fans are going to feel cheated. I'm going to get the backlash of it that I just bought the new Jeff Scott Soto live album, and it's only 43 minutes long or whatever the final timeline on that thing ended up being. I don't want the backlash. I don't want to cheat my fans. I don't want it to look like a cheap money grab. So they said, "What if we just release it on the digital formats? People can buy digitally, or they can listen to it on Spotify, whatever. And then later, when Wide Awake comes out, we'll throw it as a bonus to those who are still keeping physical product sales alive as an incentive to buy it. Because a lot of people that buy physical, they refuse to go digital. They refuse to stream. They refuse to download. So the, this gives those people." not only incentive to buy the record, but it gives them a chance to partake in that experience. I was better with that because we're not charging you for it. It's not an extra charge on top of the CD price. It's an extra added bonus to something that I didn't feel good in selling as a standalone item. And I'm glad they accepted this. And we this is one of the reasons why it works so well with Frontiers. We we truly have a partnership that respects one another and, and everything that and everything and anything that I'm doing. It's it's great.
1: You have a bunch of stuff out there. Like what is the best, absolute best way for a fan to support you? Like you're not a guy that sells T-shirts and wristbands and, you know, a bunch of signed memorabilia. You're not, at least I haven't found any of it unless you want to go find it on eBay, but that's not you. So how, right. how's best support you? You know, what? it's the
0: live thing. When, If and when I do it, that's probably the only real answer I have because in the end, playing live and and going out there and making sure that there's people, there's you know asses filling seats, as we call it out there, when we go on tour, without that, we might as well just make albums and stay home. So to me that what matters more is what happens on the live forum. And this is why I'm, I'm not really so much uh, against the whole streaming or, or even file sharing of the illegal downloads. that Everybody used to bark about, well, oh, you're taking money from my pocket and all that. I was probably not doing myself any favors or, probably pissing off labels when I kind of endorse that idea, because in the end, I don't care how you find out about me, how you heard my album. I just care that you did. That to me means more than how, or the process or whether you paid for it or not, because if you discovered me because you got it from free or you downloaded or a friend gave it to you, you now all of a sudden are part of my arsenal. You now know that there's way more to to offer and there's more out there for you to discover. And if that's going to get your ass to buy a ticket, so be it i'm all for it bingo and that's where i sit with the whole natster download people stealing piracy and all that without that a lot of people would not know and i'm sorry to use my name in third person a lot of people would not know who jeff scott soto is so as much as i can't say i welcome it i also can't say i fault it
1: yeah well i wanted to at least for me end it with you don't know my wife. You don't know how you kind of touch people sometimes because you just do what you do. Right. And my wife is not a rock fan and she just had her 50th birthday and I had a few cameos done and you were one of the cameos. I had a Cedric, the entertainer done. I had Montel Jordan done because she's kind of a hip hop comedy fan. Oh, okay. Her eyes absolutely lit up when you sang happy birthday to her. And I'm like, you know, you just watched Cedric, the entertainer, right? She's like, oh my God, Jeff did something for me. Like, so there is something about you that touches people. I'm obviously an Uber fan. I can check it off my bucket list that I got to talk to you today. But to infiltrate the wife, that is something. That is part of what we
0: do for a living, man. When you think about it, it's all par for the course. I'm here first to ask you to listen to my music. And then I'm here to ask you to like it. And then I'm here to ask you to stay with me and support it. If all the other aspects that come with it are involved in it, all that's going to is going to do is make my job easier. If you like me as a person, there's a personality. If I show you respect and courtesy, if I give you my time of day, or if I give you that little extra added touch that you wouldn't deserve, or maybe somebody else might not give you, you might actually walk away saying, you know what? Now I enjoy music even more, or I want to spread the word for people like this. That's to my advantage. That's going to help me. It's going to help you. It's all part for the course as far as I'm concerned.
2: Jeff Scott Soto, you're an amazing person. We appreciate you. We appreciate your music. You've been nothing but respectful to me both times that I've talked to you. And uh, hey, we appreciate your time as an artist, my friend.
0: I appreciate your time because it goes both ways. You know, without you guys, I couldn't do what I'm doing And the same is, you wouldn't be able to hear a Jeff Scott Soto album if I didn't make one. So (laughs) I need you as much as you love listening to what I'm doing. So it works both ways.
2: Yeah, we are fans first and foremost, but we are also here to hopefully get the word out and promote the music that we love that means a lot to us. And that's what this show exists for us.
1: And I do appreciate that. It's going to sound like all I do is listen to ballads, but just kind of go with me. Your music has been the soundtrack to my life, like stuff like "Just Between Us," I guess I'm still in love. Is one of my favorite songs of all time. Lonely Man, shade of blue.
0: I actually I'm bummed that's a Gary Shutt song because yeah, song, if it were properly recorded and done in a better way, that song could be a hit. I, I love that song. It just came out too late. You put you yeah. forward that to '88. You got a radio hit. Absolutely, and and even you know the fact that we recorded that whole thing. We, that album was recorded the same way as Love Parade. Yeah. It was all done on eight track cassette masters. It was drum machine, you know. If Gary did that with a real drummer, real musicians, and real production, that song is a monster.
1: Yeah.
2: Well, thank you so much for joining us, Jeff. A Very pleasure.
0: Well, my pleasure. Absolutely.
2: Jeff Scott Soto, thanks for coming on the Grown Up Rock podcast. You rock, buddy. Hey, we're all grown ups just doing what we're supposed to be doing,
0: right? That's it. I thank you guys. And uh I can't wait till we can actually do these formalities in person again.
2: Absolutely. Cheers. Get ready to shuffle,
3: rattle, and roll. Play us out, boys.
2: Yeah, man, you're staying busy, you know, with all this COVID shit and everything, you're struggling like everybody else is.
0: The main struggle is not knowing. We're going to be the last ones kind of let back out to roost. Everybody else, whether you're essential worker or non-essential, you're eventually starting to go back to normal life, you know, with restrictions, et cetera. But even when we're ready or we're re- released, so to speak, to get back, there's going to be so many crazy mandates and, and, and regulations involved. I really wonder if people are, are going to go out to live shows the way they used to, only because, think about it, a live show, a concert is an escape from normal life. You go to see the the bombast of a show. You go to to hear the sonic boom. You go to experience the excitement of being in that crowd. And with all those things being just kind of diminished, man, I don't know how we're going to be able to pull that off again the way we, we're used to.
1: Yeah, because, Jeff, the other thing I was thinking is, Can it even be cost effective? That's one of the main things. And it's the fact that you
0: bring this up is I kind of feel I have to say this in every interview I've been doing, because especially most are assuming that I'm really bummed out that because of COVID, I'm not able to go out and support the album and, and do the live dates and the touring that I normally do. And to be honest with you, I've already decided kind of quietly and I made a pact to myself that unless things picked up to the point where... Again, this is before COVID unless they picked up to the point where the interest either had to double as much as I hated seeing small audiences. I hated seeing promoters losing their shirts because it does cost X amount to put a show on. It costs uh, an artist or a band X amount just for their expenses, for flights, for costs, et cetera. We need our guarantee. They need a guarantee of X amount of people to come through the doors when these things don't correlate. There's losses. It's debilitating to the artist to see not that many people. It kills the promoter who's losing his shirt. And I made a pact to myself that after the last Soto tour, I'm probably not going to be going out as JSS or Soto for a while unless the demand grows. Unless there's a big enough demand that I'm not going out there and having to deal with uncomfortable conditions. Dealing with being away from home for so long, being away from family and coming home with enough to basically, you know, take everybody out for a happy meal. And and I I say that figuratively, of course, Mm -hmm. I'm not losing my ass that much, but I also I'm working my ass off for very little gain. At some point, something's got to give and I have to make a decision of what's important to me and my family and myself, even my voice going out there and bashing it all out and coming out with nothing. What if something big does come along the way and I've just completely trashed myself for it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So now COVID's come along and it's kind of put the last nail on that coffin because I don't think my career, my personal career and the things I've been doing can personally grow from where it was left off based on COVID. My touring days might be numbered. Of course, I'll do TSO. I'll still do Sons of Apollo. Those do garner more audiences and gives me more incentive to go out. I'll always do appearances, festivals, that type of thing. But as far as an actual tour, I don't think I'm going to be doing them anymore.
1: Yeah. Totally understand. Totally understand.
3: Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up
4: Rock.